Hello, and welcome to As We Wait, an in-depth verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. Join pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, as he continues the study through the Old Testament book of Judges. This is part one of a two-part study of Judges, chapter 6. You have a few moments, so why don't you grab your Bibles and follow along? Please turn to Judges, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Well, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, beginning now at verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah that pertaineth unto Joash the Abba Israelite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why has all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went, and made ready a kid, and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour, The flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and brought it out unto him under the oak, and presented it. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and lay them upon this rock, 
and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there arose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Abbi Ezrites. Gracious Father, once again, we look to you for wisdom. We ask that you would guide us. We ask that you would instruct and teach us. And help us to hear your voice this morning, Lord. Help us to draw near to you. We look to you for that instruction, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, he says, Now these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition. This isn't just about Old Testament histories. We read through this particular chapter or this whole book, actually. These things are written so that we too might be warned against the dangers of turning our backs on God, that we might live for God and serve him with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. These are lessons for us as well. As we look at this chapter, understand kind of a little bit of the history. It's been about 200 years since Joshua crossed the Jordan River with the children of Israel, and they conquered Jericho and all the rest of the land. It's been quite a while since the victories of those days and how things have changed. Now the children of Israel basically are hiding in caves and starving to death because of their lack of obedience to the Lord. In the first few verses, in verses 1 through 6, it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was, when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come into Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. The land had had rest for 40 years, and the children of Israel basically went right back into this vicious cycle of rebellion against God, doing evil in his sight. They are delivered essentially into the hand of the Midianites, the Amalekites, also the children of the east, and I think we're talking about those from Babylon or the Assyrian area. Now going back to the book of Genesis, after Sarah, Abraham's wife, died, he married another woman by the name of Keturah. And he had six sons by her, and one of those sons was named Midian. Eventually, Abraham sent all those sons away so they wouldn't interfere with his son Isaac and his inheritance and so forth. And eventually, basically, all these different sons, including the Midianites, become enemies of Israel, and they're a constant source of attack. The Midianites and the Amalekites were basically nomadic herdsmen. They lived in tents, they had their flocks and their herds, and they moved around to different areas. And as they got stronger and larger, they went up against the children of Israel and prevailed. And they would move into the land, they'd camp out for a season, they'd basically, like locusts, eat everything in sight, take everything they wanted, and when it was depleted, they would move on to some other area. And basically, they were kind of on a yearly cycle where they would work their way back to the land of Israel. 
wait for the Israelites to plant their crops, harvest their crops, and then they would just come in and take it. And so it was a very difficult thing for the Israelites. For seven years, the Israelites were forced to live in caves. God prepared them cities. God prepared them ready-made homes when they first moved into the land. And now they're hiding out in caves. And it's very sad. There's no livestock left. There's no crops. And then in the last part of verse 6, it says, And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. To me, it's amazing with the children of Israel and with us at times that it would take seven years to cry out to the Lord. I mean, we can be such a foolish, stubborn group of people sometimes. What does it take? (laughs) And here they wait seven years and finally they cry out. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 34, verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The things that we lose because we don't simply come to the Lord in prayer and humble ourselves before him. The lyrics of an old hymn, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Like James says, we have not because we ask not or because we ask amiss. Now, in verses 7 through 10, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now something different here. Previously when the children of Israel had cried out, God would raise up a judge, a deliverer that would deliver them. But this is the first time that God actually sends a prophet to the children of Israel. Other men, in fact, even a woman, Deborah, have been called prophets of God. But this is the first time that a prophet is sent to the children of Israel to remind them of the things that God has done, but to rebuke them as well, to rebuke them for their lack of obedience. The word prophet in Hebrew is nabi, and it simply means an inspired man, you know, inspired of God. And a prophet is someone who speaks for God, who speaks forth the word of God. And this prophet is sent to remind Israel of what God has done for them and what the responsibility was. And then again, he rebukes them for being disobedient to God's word. Before Jesus entered the scene in the New Testament, God sent a prophet before him as well, John the Baptist, who proclaimed repentance and basically prepared the way for Jesus to come. And here we have this unnamed prophet that comes just before we see a Christophany or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, which takes us to verse 11. In verse 11, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abbi Ezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Here we see the angel of the Lord appears to Ophrah under an oak tree on the property of Joash the father of Gideon. Now the name Ophrah means fawn. Ophrah is located up here. It's just across from Megiddo. And this little river here that you can see the little blue line there, That's the Kishon River, and it flows between Megiddo and Ophrah on over here towards Mount Gilboa. And it's basically, if you remember last week's study, the battle between Sisera, the general for Jabin, the king of Canaan, and Barak and Deborah. That battle would have taken place pretty much where that red dot is. Whoever was living there had pretty much a front row seat to that battle some 47 years prior. And so we see that uh, Gideon's father would have had a front row seat, and it makes me wonder what happened. I mean, here's a guy that sees all these things. And I think about us. 
we see the miracles of God. We see the lives changed. We see our own lives changed. And then 40 years later, where are we? I pray that we're still walking with the Lord. I pray that we're passionate for Jesus, that we love his word. My prayer for me and for all of us is that even when we're old, and old by Bible definition means really old, that we'd still be walking in his holy ways. That it wouldn't just be like a flash in the pan or anything like that, that we'd be consistent in our walk. But we see here that we've got Gideon, and as we'll see, his father has an altar to Baal. There's a grove right next to that. They've fallen pretty far. They've gone pretty far. And Gideon is threshing wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And this is a sad picture. Normally when people harvest wheat, they go up to the hilltop, and what they do is they take some of it and they basically throw it up in the air, and the wheat falls down to the ground, but the chaff is blown away in the wind. And so even though it's a very public thing, they're using the wind and it's very visible. Well, they're afraid to do that now. So now they got him down in a wine press, probably in a cave, <laughs> and he's trying to thresh wheat. Well, that's a difficult task to do in those circumstances, but it speaks to the oppression that they're suffering under the Midianites. And then in verse 12, we get to the place where it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. When you see, quote-unquote, an angel of the Lord, then you think, okay, is it an angel? Or it's just, quote, an ordinary angel. But when you see the angel of the Lord, it makes you look a little closer. And here, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, the Lord is with thee. And that is true. This is another Christophany or theophany, which means it's another pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus now to Gideon. And I say it's a theophany or Christophany because in verse 14 it says, the Lord looked upon him. In verse 16, and the Lord said to him. And so it's definitely a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. But then he says those words, thou mighty man of valor. <laughs> thou mighty man of valor that's hiding in a cave. He wasn't sharpening his sword, by the way. <laughs> he was hiding out trying to make breakfast. And at the moment, this description seems a bit of a stretch. But God always takes the long view of things. God doesn't look at us like the wretches that we are. He looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ in eternity, and he sees us as precious and beautiful and pure and holy in his sight. And I like the fact that God takes the long view. And here he takes the long view of Gideon. Then we get to verses 13 and 14. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us of? saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Basically you think, if the Lord is with us, why are we getting hammered? If the Lord is with us, this doesn't look so good. And Gideon has grown up seeing, for the last seven years anyway, the oppression of the Midianites and thinking, man, what's the use? And I like this, the fact that it's kind of a subtle thing, but basically the Lord doesn't even answer his question. Gideon is questioning God. In a sense, he's arguing with God, but God doesn't even bother to answer his question. He just looks upon him with loving eyes, and he says, go. Like it's with our kids. Don't worry about that. Just do what I said. And so he's pulled basically just to get going. And then that last phrase, have not I sent thee? That right there is the assurance of victory. God has told him to go. Haven't I sent you? That means you're going to win. Things are going to work out just fine. You're going to be victorious. Then we get to verses 15 and 16 in his response. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? 
Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. It's going to be like a one-punch knockout, take the whole nation out. It seems like God often has trouble with his recruits. When God commissions somebody, half the time it seems like they argue, I can't do it. Moses said he wasn't eloquent, so he couldn't go. Jeremiah said, well, I'm too young. I can't go. Saul said his father's house was nothing that he couldn't go. In the last chapter, Barak said, well, I won't go unless you send Deborah with me. And here Gideon is saying, well, my family is poor, and I'm the least in my family. In essence, what he's saying is, but who am I, God? But the real question isn't, who am I? It's, who is our God? It's not a matter of what we can do. It's a matter of what God can do if we yield to him. It's a matter of what God is able to do. The Lord, ever so graciously, I like this, he gives Gideon these precious words in verse 16. And he says, surely I will be with you. You know what that means? That Gideon just became the majority. (laughs) That when God is on your side, you're good. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the writer tells us, let your behavior, your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have, because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're often in the same place. Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I'm not qualified. And God's answer is always the same. Surely, I'll be with you. When you know that God is with you, and when you know that God is on your side, it may look scary, but you know you're going to win. It may be a tough go, but you've got God on your side. It's going to be okay. I love this. In Romans 8.31, Paul writes, If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing. Moving on down that chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've got the victory. And I love that. And we think, oh, but if we get killed, we're not victorious. (laughs) No. If someone puts a bullet through my brain right now, I win. (laughs) And see ya. (laughs) That doesn't worry me. Because we can't look at victory the way the world looks at victory. We win when we step into the presence of Jesus. And we can be in his presence right now. We can be in his presence at home when we're worshiping and praying. We live and we breathe and we walk in victory. The victory that he wants us to have. Moses had said earlier in Exodus 33, he said, if you won't go with me, I won't go. And I like that. If God's not in it, then we shouldn't be in it either. But the opposite being said here, if God is in it, then we should say, full speed ahead, let's go. And that's what he's exhorting Gideon to do. Now, in verse 17, And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in your sight, show me a sign that you talk with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he, meaning the Lord, said, I will tarry until you come again. This may have seemed kind of surreal to Gideon. I mean, Given his situation, everything that's going on, he's sitting there and he's throwing the weed up in the air in the cave or whatever and trying to go through all that. And all of a sudden, he's having this conversation now with God. And he may have been thinking, Lord, is that really you? I mean, am I seeing things or what's going on? 
And he's not challenging as much as he's looking for confirmation. And so seeking confirmation isn't a bad thing. Later on, we're going to talk about demanding proof, I think is. Putting God to the test is the wrong thing. But that's not what he's doing. He's asking God to confirm that what he's seeing is real. Now, in verse 19, it says, And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, and that's a kid of the goats, so all you kids don't have to worry, and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour, the flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And so he did. And so now as he comes out and he presents basically his offering, he'd gone in, he'd prepared a kid. It probably took him an hour or so. I mean, you don't slaughter a baby goat, essentially, and bake bread in 10 minutes. I mean, it takes a little while to get that done. And so he brings it out, and it says that he made unleavened bread. Unleavened meaning it was the bread of haste, but it's also without leaven, meaning leaven is always symbolic of sin in the Bible. And given their situation, the poverty that's been described, there's no food, they're impoverished, uh, nobody has anything to eat hardly. When he brings out this goat, and he brings out basically a bunch of bread that was made from a, a significant amount of flour, he's bringing out a pretty significant sacrifice. I mean, it's like the widow and her two mites, the last little bit of bread that he might have had, who knows what. But I think back to Leviticus. I think back to the sacrifices. A goat, in this case a kid, was symbolic of a sin offering. The unleavened bread, a meal offering, an offering of thanksgiving. And then the broth being poured out is like a drink offering being poured out. It's an offering of consecration. And those things are needed in Gideon's life. They're needed for the nation, actually, but he begins with a man. And a man that basically says, forgive me my sins. Lord, I thank you for everything you've given me, and I consecrate my life to you. And that's what Gideon is doing here. And then in verse 21, Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. He's afraid because he, at this point he realizes that he's seen God, in a sense, face to face. And he's going back to what's written in the book of Exodus, that no man can see me and live. And so he's like, oh no, I'm going to die. But God's not going to reveal himself to Gideon, give him a mission, if you will, here's what you're going to do, and then kill him because he's seen him. God's revealing himself to Gideon for a purpose, and that is to inspire Gideon to help him to be the man of faith that God's calling him to be and to fulfill the ministry and the mission that he's laid out for him. And then he says, then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Abbi Ezrites. And so the Lord receives Gideon's offering, symbolized by touching it and causing the flames to consume it. The Lord departs, and then Gideon again realizes he's been talking with God. And as he's afraid, the Lord again addresses Gideon. He doesn't have to be there physically. He just says to Gideon, Peace be unto you. Fear not, for you're not going to die. And how does Gideon respond? He builds an altar, and understand that when he builds an altar, that's their form of worship. That's like if we all just bust into singing worship songs and stuff. It's basically the same thing. So Gideon is now worshiping God. He's praising God. He's thanking God. What a privilege. Because he's an exception at this point. When God said, no man can see me and live, he goes, but I'm going to let you see me. You know, eventually Gideon's going to die, but not today. And he had the privilege of seeing God and hearing God. 
And God gave Gideon a message of peace, basically to prepare him for war. Kind of an interesting kind of uh, contrast there. He gives him a message of peace to prepare him for war. You can't fight the battles of the Lord. You can't fight effectively unless you're at peace with God. Well, that's all the time we have for now. You've just been listening to pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, teaching part one of a two-part in-depth study of Judges chapter six. Please join us again next time for part two as we continue our study through the book of Judges and through the entire Bible. As We Wait is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. We pray that you are blessed and we'd like to invite you to join us in person. Calvary Chapel meets at 450 Richmond Road on Sunday mornings at 830 and 1030. Our Wednesday evening service begins at 7 and communion is celebrated the first Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. To get the entire study on CD, please call the church office at 530-257-4833. And if you've made a profession of faith and would like more information on what it is to walk with Jesus or want to know how to grow in your faith, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at P.O. Box 1316, Susanville, California, 96130. All our services are streamed live on the web at www.ccsusanville.com. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.